Good morning. Hey, I'm supposed to say it first, then you say it back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Children's Church. Kids are, uh, it's time for you guys to depart if that's what you want to do, if that's what your parents want you to do. You're welcome to stay. Uh, four weeks ago, we started this series called One Thing, and today we'll wrap that series up by going back to the same passage in Luke 10, uh, verses 38 through 42, and we've read that passage out each week, and looking at a snapshot into the lives of two sisters, Martha and Mary from the village of Bethany, and I say it's a snapshot because Scripture comes back to these ladies on three different occasions and we get to peer a bit into their lives um, on each occasion. We also see that Jesus is present with them each time, um, along with their brother Lazarus on two of the occasions, as well as some other folks. Uh, we know this first encounter they had with Jesus took place in um, their home in Bethany and revolved mostly around Martha and her attitude toward the situation and toward her sister and even toward Jesus. And Pastor Brandon preached on three problems or hindrances to Christians being able to focus on the one thing. Uh, and that one thing being Jesus and, and what people do with Jesus. He preached about our problems of distraction, worry, and lordship. And these are all points brought into the open by examining Martha's actions um, in this passage. Martha has been the poster child for what not to do. Um, we've, we've picked her apart for three weeks. Uh, and not just us. Jesus picked her apart first in a loving but truthful way as he rebuked her gently. And as we look at this passage one more time, I want us to turn away from Martha and pick apart Mary's response to Jesus coming over for dinner. Jesus mentioned Mary in his rebuke of Martha when he said what a lot of parents say, why can't you be more like your sister? Now, he didn't really say that. I'm sorry. Um, and you shouldn't say that to your kids. Very much. But it's kind of true, right? She, she should have been more like Mary in, in that moment. Jesus used Mary as an example of what to do when, when in his presence. And just so you and I are clear, we're always in his presence. He is with us. We've looked at Martha's distraction because she was focused on her comfort and pleasures, the imperfections in others and the good work she was doing. Uh, by looking at the Luke passage and others, we saw Martha's worry about death and life, about tomorrow. And then Martha's problem of lordship, as she asks, Lord, don't you care? And she says, Lord, tell her what to do. She's trying to put that focus on Mary and get Mary to come help her. And as it's exposed in the sermons that we've had already, that bowing down to Christ as Lord is hard. Martha had misplaced her attention. She had lost focus on the one thing. It's the one thing that she had been neglecting, 
the one thing had taken a back seat to her busyness, her work, her worry. And Jesus pointed out her error. He took her attention off of her focus on Mary in order that she would see what Mary was focused on. So what of Mary? This whole passage has been about Martha's problem, and Mary's been sitting there, not saying anything, while Martha's getting rebuked. Now, I have one older brother, and whenever he was in trouble and getting rebuked, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, I feel like going and making some popcorn and sitting down to watch the show. I like to see my brother getting in trouble. I don't know why that is, but I got some enjoyment out of it. I don't think Mary was doing that. We don't hear any words from Mary, and I don't think she was doing that. She's not childish. But So we don't have any account of this a verbal interaction between Jesus and Mary, only Jesus and Martha. But Jesus reveals to Martha three important things about Mary that we can all learn from today. She sat at Jesus' feet she listened to his teaching, and she chose what is necessary. This is what I want to talk about today. No more focus on Martha's errors, but a look at Mary and what she did that is a perfect example of how you and I need to think and behave as Christians today. Jesus pointed Martha to Mary's behavior as a contrast to her own. And we should take notice when Jesus points to someone and says, they did it right. Okay, We should take notice of that. Though some might want uh, this passage to be about how Mary is a woman learning from Jesus and that was countercultural, it's not a passage that we should go to and attempt to paint Jesus as a rebel against the misogynist culture of the time. Jesus is bringing down the patriarchy. No, this is about the one thing. Okay, This is about him. And this is ultimately about, as we'll see, this is ultimately about worship. And that's the title for the sermon today uh, in this overall heading of our series, The One Thing, and today it's about worship. Let's read our passage in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, if you'll turn there and follow along. Luke 10, 38 through 42, and then we'll pray. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to learn from it. I pray that our hearts and minds will be open to receive what you have told us. Pray, Father, that we would have the correct posture before you, that we would think rightly about who you are, Lord, and that we would listen to your teaching. Father, that we would know that there is nothing more necessary 
than knowing you and what you have said and responding to that. So, Father, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to direct your attention, first of all, to the opening portion of verse 39. Here we get our first point of focus for today. Um, and Luke writes, um, And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. And if we want to follow her example, which is what Jesus tells Martha to do, we come up with our first of three points for today, if you're taking notes. Number one, I must sit at the Lord's feet. I must sit at the Lord's feet. We can read Luke's text here and know that among all the things and people in the room, Mary was located at the Lord's feet. And if Luke had, a GPS, had GPS coordinates for her and, and gave them to someone to come and find Mary, the coordinates would lead them to the place where she was seated. And they would notice Jesus was there also, and his feet would be close to Mary. But Mary's global positioning is not what Luke is pointing out. He is pointing out where she's positioned herself in relation to Jesus. She was at his feet. Nobody else was, but she was at his feet. There were no doubt other followers of Christ in the room with them, hearing the Lord speak. But of Mary, it is said she was at his feet. What you and I need to take away, first of all, is that this is the place of humility. What has she done? She has humbled herself before the Lord. In terms of what most people would think is the best seat in the house, they would probably be next to the Lord, right? Right beside him, right at his right hand. Didn't we see James and John slinking around and asking Jesus to give those kinds of seats to them in the kingdom? I mean, listen to the nerve of these guys, right? In Mark 10, 35-37, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Nerve. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Wow. Is that positioning yourself at Jesus' feet? No. Is that humility? No. Or is that arrogance and thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to? But Mary, she positioned herself at the feet of Jesus. She eagerly went there, humbling herself before the King of glory. She did not sit next to him and, and look out at the others uh, who were in the room and in some sort of self-satisfaction. She was concerned that she would be in the right place as compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. She was not concerned about a position of honor for herself. She wanted to be at his feet. In fact, we should notice that in every text of Scripture describing an interaction between Jesus and Mary, she's in the same place. Inside the house, outside the house, it didn't matter. She always humbled herself before the Lord and was at his feet. Right after their brother Lazarus had died, Jesus came to them, and Martha went out to meet him. She went back to get Mary, and we should notice her response. In John 11, verses 28 and 29, and then 32, when she, Martha, 
had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Verse 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yes, she brought her cares to Jesus, but notice where she immediately went. She fell at his feet. This is humbling herself before the one who can raise people from the dead. And that's what Jesus did. The next time after that is when Jesus comes back to Bethany a few days before his death. is having a meal in the house of Simon the leper. And Mary and Martha are there, as well as other people. Martha is back to serving. Where do we find Mary? We find her back at the feet of Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 12 in your Bibles, if you would. John chapter 12. Verses 3 through 7. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Here she's not only humbling herself by being at his feet, but using her hair to wipe this expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. You can't get humbler than that. He was also performing a service. He was showing honor and preparing his body for burial. The accounts we see of this event in Matthew and Mark tell us that Mary also poured this expensive ointment over Jesus' head as well. Now, Jesus had already told his disciples on more than one occasion what was going to happen to him. That he would suffer at the hands of evil men and be rejected by the elders and the, and the chief priests and the scribes. And that he would be taken and killed and then rise from the dead on the third day. But people continually didn't understand or get this. It appears that it's Mary, the one who's always found at the feet of the Lord, who understands what is about to happen to him. And she takes appropriate action in honoring Jesus. Unlike Peter, who when Jesus tells him he's going to the cross, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter wasn't listening. He thought he knew better. He, he was not sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary believed that Jesus, she believed what he said about the need for his own death. And she prepared him for his burial. And we see words about this in Matthew 26, 12, and 13. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, whenever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, 
what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So here we are, remembering Mary and how she humbled herself before Jesus. She would not pretend to know better. She knew her place as a sinner, and she knew the holiness of God. What about you? Are you humbled before the Lord? Do you still need to humble yourself before the Lord? Are you like the man who bows low and knows his place, who beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Or are you the one who, in pride, places yourself higher than you are, saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men? Are you refusing to sit at the Lord's feet because you're not willing to submit to his lordship? Because that's what it is. A refusal. You know the truth and you refuse it. And the word of the Lord is clear that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In Proverbs 16, 18. Don't be counted a fool. This is no joke. Jesus Christ is no joke. He's not your bro. He's not your homie. He's not your co-pilot. He's the king. He's the king. He's the Lord of hosts. Think of Isaiah, in whose vision Jesus is described as high and lifted up. And the seraphim are calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. My friends, you and I don't measure up. Isaiah didn't measure up. And his response should be our response. Met with the realization he was in the presence of the Lord, all he can say is, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Who do we think we are? Seriously. Isaiah knew. Mary knew who she was and who the Lord was, and she humbled herself before him. Say, well, Jesus was with her and actually talking with her. It's not the same for us. Yes, it is. Jesus is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all at once. He sees everything, and he's omniscient. He knows everything all at once. You cannot hide from him. Even now as you sit there, your mind should be engaged in understanding your position before the Lord and have a spirit of humility. Are you sit, setting aside the distractions of the world because you're in the presence of the Lord of hosts? We must, Christians must, humble themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, even now, at this moment. To position yourself in such a way that you can do what Mary did next. As we look at our next point, we understand that Mary is able to do it because she first humbled herself before the Lord. If we will humble ourselves before Him, we are in position to be able to listen to His teaching. And that's our second point. I must listen to his teaching. I must listen to his teaching. Back in our main passage, we continue in verse 39. Luke says, Mary 
sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Don't miss this. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She humbled herself and listened. If you will not humble yourself and sit at the feet of Jesus, you will not listen to his teaching. Again, we do not physically have Jesus here talking to us. But whenever you listen to a pastor preaching from the Bible, or when you read and study your own Bible, you are hearing Jesus speak. We need to remember this and not take lightly the proclamation of God's word. This is why you will often hear us finish our scripture reading by saying, this is the word of the Lord. We want to remind ourselves what we're hearing. It's not a horoscope or a fortune cookie. It's not a self-help book. It's not a novel or a collection of short stories. It is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, giving us life. Matthew 4, 4 but says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus says is life-giving. Not just for salvation, but for everyday Christian living. We live by every word from his mouth. Are you listening? When Luke writes about Mary listening to Jesus' teaching, we need to understand it's more than just hearing the words that are coming out of his mouth. There is hearing and there is listening. Mary heard what Jesus was saying, and she applied listening and Luke is pointing out that she went on listening. This is so much more than just hearing in the audible sense. The scripture makes it clear that we are to go beyond just hearing and apply listening. Another way we can say it is that we hear and obey. Jesus gives a strong message and says, He who has ears, let him hear. This is a call to listen to believe, and to obey. In times past, when God spoke to his people through his prophets, the prophet Jeremiah had a strong rebuke for God's people because they would not listen. Jeremiah 25, 3-4, For 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent, you, sent to you all his servants, the prophets. They would not listen. They would not hear and so obey. When I told my girls not to roll their eyes at their mother, they heard me. But if they did it anyway, they didn't listen and received the correction they needed. Some of them were quicker to listen than others. And truly hearing or listening in Scripture carries the idea of obeying. It means I heard it, and though it might be hard or sometimes not what I want to do, I submit my own will to the will of another. In this case, to the will of the Lord. When we listen to what Jesus says, we are obeying it. That's what it means, not just hearing sounds, 
If we do not listen, we remain rebels, disobedient children who can expect discipline. The discipline of the Lord toward those rebellious people Jeremiah rebuked was that he caused them to go into captivity for 70 years. Why will you continue to rebel against the word of the Lord? We are stubborn. We want our will, don't we? I just want what I want. And I also want the Lord to bless me. So if you're sitting here week after week, hearing the word of God and you're reading the Bible on your own during the week and are still not walking in obedience to it, you are not listening. What does it matter if you read and hear and study Scripture if you do not apply it to your life? You're not listening. Let me say that listening also carries the idea of believing and not arguing. Again, this is like children, isn't it? You tell them to do something, and what do they do? They argue or they, they try and negotiate. This is not a democracy. You don't get a vote. Obey me when I tell you something. That's the things I feel like saying. They heard me but they will not submit to my authority. They're not listening. Isn't that how we often are with God? And what God says. His word is his teaching for you. But why will you not listen? Because unlike Mary, you have not first humbled yourself before the Lord. You've not submitted your will to his. You're not sitting at his, at his feet. So it follows, you cannot and will not listen to him. We know we don't like to listen to others, including God. We have popular sayings that show this is a big problem. People say, you haven't heard a word I've said. Right? You're not hearing me. Do you hear me? My mom said that to me a lot. What do each of those sayings really mean? You're not listening. You're not acting on what you've heard. Now, sometimes it's good not to listen. Genesis 39.10, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. Oh, he heard her, but he wasn't about to listen to her because she's trying to get him to commit adultery with her. So not listening was a good thing there. But the epidemic of God's people not listening to his word all throughout Scripture is a testament to the sinful and rebellious condition of humanity. Jeremiah said, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth that you have not obeyed my voice. Jeremiah twenty two twenty one. Mary has placed herself in a position of submission. She has humbled herself before her master and is soaking up every word. She's not seated next to him, looking out on others in judgment, nodding in agreement with the master as if she isn't a sinner. No, she's humble. She's lowly. She's listening intently to everything Jesus is lovingly saying. She is a disciple, and she is listening so she can walk in obedience. 
Where are her cares? Because you can bet she has them. But where are they right now? They're set aside on pause. They're not in view right now. They will be there when the Lord isn't right before her, but for now, he's speaking. And when she goes back to her troubles, having been enlightened by the true words of grace, those troubles will be lesser. Her troubles will no longer have the same weight or the same power over her mind because the words of life have been spoken and listened to by her. If she had taken Martha's place, back she would go to the weight of the world on her shoulders, bearing an unnecessarily heavy burden through the confusion of human reasoning. But what does Jesus say to his people who come to him? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, brothers and sisters, why would we not take his yoke upon us? Why would we not listen and obey the King of glory? If we truly sat at his feet and humbly listened, we would be soaking it up and eagerly applying the truth to everyday life, to all the trials that come our way. In a sermon from the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London on December 3rd, 1876, Charles Spurgeon preached about Mary sitting there at the feet of Jesus and describing how she received his words. He said this, Some people hear the words but do not receive them. But there sat Mary where as the words fell, they dropped upon her as a snowflake drops into the sea and are absorbed. So each word of Jesus dropped into her soul and became part and parcel of her nature they fired and filled her, her very being. Is that you today? When you hear the word of God, do you soak it up? Does it absorb into your soul and nourish it? Or does the word of God hitting your ears have to compete for the attention with this care and that care? You're doing it wrong. You're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. You're not listening. And men, do you hear the words of Jesus and go home and treat your wife just as poorly as you always have? Do you stubbornly refuse to submit to the teaching of Jesus that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and then wonder why your relationship just keeps deteriorating? You're sinning in your pride and, and haven't humbled yourself. And you're not listening. And you don't get to say, well, but she this or, or she that. No. God's command to you is clear and it's not conditioned on what she does. And how often do husbands and wives or anybody in relationship crises say, we've tried everything. No, you haven't. Honestly, if you had tried everything, you would be in a healthy, healthy, godly marriage or a healthy relationship with someone else. Imagine how it could be. But one or, one or both of you is refusing to humble yourself 
and to listen to Jesus' teaching. Imagine again the change in troubled marriages if both people would listen to this teaching. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What if we would just do that? Such simple instruction, so clear. But you refuse because you will not listen. Even now you're probably thinking how this applies to the other person. Stop. Humble yourself. Listen to Christ. Let his word absorb into your soul and bring about a heart that is soft and able to be taught, leading to obedience and reconciliation in relationships. How many people in here have relationships with others that have been damaged for years, including with each other in this church, maybe? Will you continue in unforgiveness and keeping a record of wrongs against a brother or sister in Christ? If you had positioned yourself at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching, you would obey this command. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. But that relationship is still broken, isn't it? It shouldn't be this way. There are such clear commands on how to repair our relationships, yet we refuse to listen. How can we call ourselves Christians when we allow our pride or concern over other people's wrongdoing to keep us from doing what Jesus said? Why don't you look with me at Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see, this is no joke. You shouldn't even be here offering worship when you know your brother or sister has something against you. We keep coming back week after week, year after year, being just fine with this division. The command is clear. Will you continue to hear and not listen? Now, Scripture also tells us that as far as it depends on you to be at peace with all men, some people aren't going to come around, they won't respond. But have you tried? We could go on and on with the sins we commit, knowing what the Lord says, and yet refusing to listen. We wonder why our lives are are full of relationship problems, and addiction problems, attitude problems, and so on. The stress and strife we experience 
as the hand of the Lord is heavy upon us as Christians, convicting us of our sin, and yet we refuse to humble ourselves before the Lord of hosts. If you will not listen, you can expect more of the same. We've not done what Mary did in sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching, which revealed something else about Mary. Jesus said it. He said why she was sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching, and it's our third and final point for the day, Luke 10, verses 41 and 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So our final point, number three, is I must choose what is necessary. I must choose what is necessary. Jesus said of Mary that she had chosen the good portion. Your translation might say the good part. The CSB translation says, made the right choice. This implies there was more than one thing to choose, and that is true. Both Martha and Mary made choices here. In the broader text, we have a list of choices present, and and that list includes sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching, or being distracted with much serving, or confrontation, or demanding Jesus do something, or anxiety and worry. We know from that list and from the story who chose what, and Jesus said, out of all those things to choose from, in that moment, Mary chose the good portion. She chose a portion or a part of all that was available, and Jesus said she made the right choice. But we also need to see the main thing that is, Jesus said, not only is this the good portion, but what did he say? It is necessary. Necessary. We have plenty of opportunity in life for anxiety, worry, fear, and trouble and cares of life. They'll always come. But Jesus said one thing is necessary. And Mary chose that. What is the one thing that was necessary? It's what we've been talking about this whole time. The one thing necessary is to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. My friends, I know your life is troubled. I know the cares of the world are mounting. I know you've lost someone close. You're trying to figure out how to live life moving forward. You know your marriage is floundering, maybe. You're trying to raise your kids and it's hard. You've strained and broken relationships. I know you're burdened by ongoing sin. I know you've been hurt, are bitter, and have unforgiveness in your heart. You have the heaviness of unbelieving family members weighing on you. You've, you've got big decisions to make. Worldliness is a magnet for you. And I know being a Christian and working in a culture that is completely hostile to Christ is difficult. One thing is necessary. One thing can and will take care of all this. One thing gives you the answer for how to live 
with what must be lived with and how to repair what must be repaired and how to strengthen what must be strengthened. One thing, and it is absolutely a necessity. You must sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. I know it sounds overly simplistic, but it's a beautiful thing. That the Lord of armies, the King of kings, says, sit at my feet, listen to my teaching, and I will give you rest. Don't you want to be free from all this striving and boxing at the air and beating your head against the wall? Stop it. Humble yourself before God. Sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and obey. When we do things God's way, life is so much better. You see, when we sit at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching, we're ready. We're prepared for the hardships of life. You who are anxious and burdened and fearful about life and death, why? If you would but sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching, you would have the answers. But remember, listening includes believing and agreeing. It includes obeying. And we can do this if we'll humble ourselves before the Lord. Proverbs 3 doesn't just have catchy memory verses. Listen to the word of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment for your bones. Proverbs 3, 5, and 8. Doesn't that sound awesome? When will these words cease to be just words for you? You've heard them a thousand times, haven't you? Yet you continue to rely on your own understanding when life hits you. I promise you, the more you study and know the Word of God, the more the events of life and this world and what God is doing and how you fit into it will all become clearer. In all your ways... In all your ways in your marriage, acknowledge him. To acknowledge him means to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. We acknowledge God when we consider and agree with what he has said, and we do it. Stop being wise in your own eyes and banging your head against the wall over and over again. You're not wise. Only God is wise. If I listened to his teaching, I would know this because I learn who he is, his character, his power, his justice, his mercy, his love, his grace. I learn that God is sovereign over all things. If God is sovereign over all things, can I not entrust every burden to him? If God is working all things according to the purpose of his will, and I know that God is good, can I not trust him to do what is right? Then what power should fear have over me? What power should any burden have over me? Look at Psalm 73 with me. Psalm 73. Verses 24 through 28. 
And listen to what the psalmist says. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. God is my portion forever. This is where Mary was, and Jesus pointed out another amazing truth that we also just saw in that Psalms passage, and God is that portion forever. Jesus said in Luke 10, 42, that what Mary chose was necessary, and it would not be taken away from her. That's forever. How did Mary know that she didn't need to be worried about serving and doing all the other stuff and being anxious. She chose what was necessary. She sat there at the feet of Jesus, and she hung on every word of teaching that he offered. Christian, will you starve by not listening to Jesus' teaching? Will you keep starving yourself? Look at those points again. I must sit at the Lord's feet. I must listen to his teaching. I must choose what is necessary. I want you to notice what this really is. To sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word, is, as I said before, placing yourself in the position of humility and not only hearing, but agreeing and obeying the teaching of Jesus. What are we talking about here? What we're really talking about here is worship. What are people doing when they fall at Jesus' feet? They are worshiping Him. As we invite the worship team to come back up, I want to say this. When it comes time to sing in church, we often say, let's worship together. But my friends, sitting at the feet of Jesus... And listening to his teaching is no less worship. When we give our offerings, we're worshiping. When we pray, we're worshiping. When we listen to the preaching of God's word, we are worshiping. And yes, when we sing, we are worshiping. You can sit at the Lord's feet, even if you don't have your Bible in front of you. If you have hidden his word in your heart, be driving in your car, thinking about his word, pondering what he says. And in that moment, you're sitting at his feet. What will you do with the one thing? Will you worship the Lord Jesus Christ and choose today what is necessary to make your life and household strong? Jesus taught this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose 
the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. You are mighty. You are sovereign, God. You have given us every word that we need for life and godliness. Father, but we quite often refuse to listen. I pray, Father, you would convict each heart here today of the areas in our life where we refuse to humble ourselves before you, where we refuse to listen. I pray, Lord, that your hand would be heavy upon us. You would be convicting us. God, bring us to repentance. Please humble us, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we can sit at the feet of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we can listen to his teaching. And no matter what comes at us in life, all the suffering, the hardships, Father, you have overcome all of that. And the fact, Father, that of your grace and your mercy by sending Christ, Lord, the fact that our sins are forgiven is such an amazing truth. Thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, for your patience. For we need it. We benefit from it all the time. You are so great and mighty, awesome. Help us, Lord, to honor you, to glorify you, to praise you, as you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.